listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. If you're a guest of ours, welcome. You have picked a doozy of a Sunday to visit um, because we have a heavy text this morning. But one of the things that we do as a church and that we're unapologetic about is we open God's word. We work verse by verse through the Bible and it keeps us honest so that we don't skip the hard stuff. And today's a little bit of the hard stuff, y'all, but that's all right. It's good for us because uh, God is for us. And if he is for us, who could be against us? So turn to Matthew 25. There's a lot of discussion these days on who's the goat, right? Here, who's the goat, especially in the sports world? Who's the goat? And, and I don't know about you, I'm, I'm almost 50 now. So for older folks that are 50 and older, and not older, is more seasoned, maybe I should say, more seasoned people with gray hair and, or no hair, um, the goat used to be a bad thing. Remember when the goat, if you were the goat, that means you choked. That means you, you, you blew it. Like Bill Buckner, 1986 World Series. Well, as you remember, Red Sox-Mets, right between his legs, win the World Series. No, they lose because Bill Buckner's the goat. He choked. Or Scott Norwood, for you Bills fans, he, wide right on a field goal, would have won the Super Bowl. He missed, right? He's the goat. He choked. Somewhere along the line, I don't know if it was the iPhone or something else, but now goat means good. It's good to be the goat. So now we have, and that means greatest of all time, older folks. That's what goat means now, right? So, so you hear the debate. Okay, well, LeBron, is it LeBron or Jordan? Please, Jordan, LeBron, right? Never lost, Jordan never lost the finals, just so we're clear on that, right? Uh, and he played baseball too, which is a bonus. Or, or you go into, maybe you go into football and you go, okay, Brady versus Montana. I don't know, a little bit. I'll go Montana. He played in a different era, and Brady's the Antichrist, so that's a different story. <laughs> Maybe the greatest, who's the greatest in Hollywood? Please, Tom Cruise is the greatest of Hollywood, okay? Or I'll give you, I'll give you Harrison Ford, Han Solo, Indiana Jones, yes. Okay, he could be a number two on the GOAT, right? But for our culture, being the GOAT, it's a good thing. It's a desirable thing. It's what we want, to be the GOAT. But not in our text today. Today... Being a goat is a bad thing, the worst of things. Why? That's what we're going to look at today as we unpack Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46. And we are in our third week of what has been called the Olivet Discourse. That's because Jesus is on the Mount of Olives and he's discoursing, right? He is responding to a question from his disciples. Disciples are all enamored with the, tab- the temple, and they're like, well, Jesus, isn't these buildings great? Because it was an impressive building, right? Here's an artist's rendition. It was impressive. Eighth wonder of the world of its day, right? It was, it was just ginormous, 36-acre campus, uh, gold everywhere, and they're all impressed. And Jesus says, don't be impressed. In just a few years, this thing's going to be rubble, not one stone on top of the other. And the only thing left to this day is the outer wall called the Wailing Wall, the Western Wall, right? Because Titus came in and destroyed it. And so the, the apostles, they respond by saying, well, Jesus, when is this gonna happen? And what's it gonna be like when you come back? What, what is it gonna be the sign of your time? And when is it happening? And he never answers the when, but he does answer the what. And so week one, we looked at the what, what is it going to be like right before the Lord Jesus comes back? And, and the simple answer is bad, really, really bad. 
There's gonna be all these signs and things and he only high levels them. If you go to a book of Revelation, you can read about them. There's seven seal judgments, seven trumpet judgments, seven bowl judgments, things like 75 pound hail coming out of the sky and darkness across the planet and one third of the ocean turning to blood in the, in the sea dying. I mean, it's, it's bad. It's, it's horrendous. And people yet with all these signs and wonders still will not repent and believe in Christ. That's all going to happen right before. So we looked at that in week one. Week two, Clint came up last week and said, so what's our response? It's to be ready. At any moment, be ready, right? Because Jesus could have said, hey guys, just so you know, I'm not coming back for a couple thousand years. So y'all can chill. Because that's what we would do, right? If we knew, oh, Jesus is not coming back for a couple thousand years, let's just chill. If he told you it's going to be 2050, year 2050, you would be like, oh, I got some time. So the response is, you don't need to know when, you just need to be ready because you don't know if I'm gonna come back tomorrow or an aneurysm or a, 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 a big truck on I-16 swerves or a flat tire here. You do not know when the last moment will be. So just be ready, be found faithful. And so today in the last week on this sermon on Olivet Discourse, Jesus is gonna tell what's gonna happen right after I come back. So we looked at what's right before, we looked how to get ready, and now he's gonna say, this is what's gonna happen right after. And look, you can, and there's been a lot of fun discussions in some of our groups about uh, millennials and pre-millennials and post-millennials. Some of you are like, I'm just a paying millennialist. It'll all pan out in the end. That's probably the best position, all right? It doesn't matter which position you are. In the end, the only thing that really does matter is are you a sheep or are you a goat? And you don't wanna be the goat. Not here, Right? Why? Well, let's look at our text. And this is a heavy passage, y'all. But if you have one of those older Bibles that has like the red letter edition, Jesus's words in red, look at it. It's all red. So this is not me thinking, this is my opinion on things. This is not some fire and brimstone Baptist from the 1800s. This is the Lord Jesus himself telling you what is going to happen. This is true and good and right. And so in just kind of respect and reverence for the heaviness of this passage, I wanna stand as I read this passage over us uh, and then, uh, and then we'll, we'll sit down. So go ahead and stand as I read this passage. Verse 31, when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison or visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? He will say to them, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you didn't do it to me. 
and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The word of the Lord. You guys can have a seat. Thanks. So Jesus starts this last section. He says, when the son of man comes, and that is a loaded phrase. Remember, son of man is his messianic title. It's right out of Daniel chapter seven, when the ancient of days, aka the father, as the, the, the son of man comes to him, and the ancient of days, the father gives the son a kingdom and a, and a, uh, a throne to rule and to reign and to judge. That is what's going to happen. And Jesus says, when, when that happens, this is, what's going to, this is going to, how it's going to play out. But he's, I'm going to come with my glory. I'm going to come with my angels. I'm going to sit on this glorious throne. And that, that one verse is a summary of really all of Revelation 19. It's just like a kind of high, high, you know, high level when the Son of Man comes. But here's what that looks like. All right, let me read to you what that looks like because we want to interpret the scripture with the scripture. So this is what's going to happen. Revelation 19, I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and one sitting on it is called faithful and true. That's Jesus. And in righteousness, he does what? He judges and makes war. Who's he making war against? All the armies and the nations of the world who have gathered to a valley called Megiddo, which is the battle of Armageddon, this final battle where the nations of the world will try to fight against the lamb. And his, being Jesus' eyes, are a flame of fire. His head, many diadems. He has a name written no one knows but himself. His clothes, he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And his name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. All the angels, Gabriel, Michael, uh, you know, the guy from Miracle on 34th Street or whatever, you know, all those guys, Clarence is there. Everyone's there. But from his mouth comes a sharp sword. He speaks a word and slays the nations. He will strike down the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty on his robe, on his thigh. He has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse against his army. And the beast was captured. And with it, the false prophet who in his presence had done the signs by which he had deceived those who had received the mark of the beast. This is Antichrist. We looked at him a couple weeks ago. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. The rest were slain by the sword that came from his mouth. All the armies of the world who were fought came to fight against him. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Then I saw the angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon. This is Satan. The ancient serpent who was the devil, Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into a pit and shut it and sealed it over him that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years are ended. Then he's gonna be released. So this is this kingdom that I believe is literal. Some believe it's you know, going on now, but I think it's gonna happen in the future. But then he saw thrones. Who were on these thrones? I think the 12 disciples who he says, you're gonna have thrones in Jerusalem in the kingdom. He promises them that. He says, they are given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who've been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus. These are those saints killed during the tribulation period. And those who had not worshiped the beast or its image and not received the mark in their forehead and their hands, they came to life, they're resurrected, and they do what? Reign with Christ for a thousand years. And the rest of the dead, these are those who are lost, that are, their souls right now are separated from God in hell. They will be resurrected at the end, and we'll see what that happens in a, in, a few, in a few moments. But over second death, 
There is no power, but they will be priests of God in Christ. The first resurrection, these folks going into the kingdom will reign and rule with Christ for a thousand years. That, all that to say, that's what, what he means when he says the son of man comes in his glory. So that's, that's a short sentence, but that's what he's talking about. And there's a lot there and we don't have time to go into it all, but I want you to at least, so you can go ahead this week and kind of read through that and study it yourselves. That's what he's talking about. When the son of man comes, that's what's gonna happen. But here's the focus, because we like to talk about the sheep and the goats and judgment and all these things. What's this text about? It's about the judge, right? Look at, the, look at the pronouns again. When the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate the people as one as a shepherd separates goats and sheep and he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. This passage is about the judge. And in the end, it, it doesn't matter again whether you're this or that or the other. The only thing that matters is Jesus Christ will return and he will judge and he will put some on his left, he will put some on his right and you don't wanna be on the left. You don't wanna be a goat. You wanna be a sheep because he will stand as judge. And as you think about that day, what kind of feelings kind of do you have about that day? Is there... Is there a fear? Was there a confidence? Is there a joy? Or is there apprehension? Because understand, this judgment, it's final. There's no appeals. There's no, oh, we have a hung jury. We don't have, oh, we'll just get Matlock and he'll get me off because he always gets everyone off. There's no uh, a Supreme Court that's over this. There's no mistrial. There's no pleading, no contest. This judgment will be final and there's not one sheep that will be lost and there's not one goat that will sneak in. And it won't matter what ethnicity you are, male or female, old or young, how much do-re-mi you have in your bank account, how high the corporate ladder you climbed, how many Bible studies you did or how many followers or likes you had on Instagram. None of that will matter. The only thing will matter is are you on the right or are you on the left? That's the only thing that will matter. And you don't want to be with the goats. You don't want to be with the goats. So let's look at the difference of what's going on here. Verse 34, he's going to start with those on his right. He's going to start with the sheep. The king will say to those on his right, and I want you to sit in this and hear this. It's a great verse. First thing he says is, come. Come. You could literally translate it. Come here. Come now. Come on. Come on. Remember, this is the same one who is in Revelation 19 has fiery eyes and, and crowns on his forehead and is a sword in his mouth and he uses his mouth to slay the nations. But he's using his words now, not to slay, but to invite. And he says, come. It is not a frown or a scorn or angry eyebrows. There's a smile. Come. You who are blessed. And we use that word, you know, that's our Southern cheesy Christian word, right? I'm just blessed. Bless your heart. Bless, 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 bless. Right? We use it. That, it's not some cheesy Christian word. This is the word that means that you've been lavished with the favor and the grace of God. And it's in what we call the passive voice. So it's not that you are a blessing. I don't care what your grandma told you. It's not that you are a blessing. It's that you have been blessed, that you are on the receiving end of blessing. Who from whom? 
the Father. Jesus is saying, come, why? Because my dad, you know, my dad, the ancient of days, my dad, the King of kings and Lord of lords, my dad, the God of the universe, he has blessed you and lavished you with grace and love and he has chosen you. And so the last command is then what? Inherit, inherit the kingdom. Inheritance is a good thing, right? Unless you inherit like your parents' cat or something, that's not a good thing. There's this movie in the 80s, I went to this. It's called Brewster's Millions, Richard Pryor, where he inherits $30 million and he has to spend $30 million in 30 days and he gets 300 million. And and I always think, oh, if I could could just have an uncle that would give me 30 million, I could do that, right? But that, that was a good thing. And inheritance is a good thing. What does Jesus say here? Inherit what? My father is saying, come. My father is saying, you are blessed. And my father is saying, this is yours. What is yours? The kingdom. Everything is yours. My kingdom. That was prepared when? Before the foundation of the world. It's not, don't get your idea that Jesus is up there hammering nails right now. I'm almost done. Your house is almost done and I'm working on your sister's. The kingdom was prepared before the foundation of the world, before Genesis 1-1, in the beginning he created the heaven and the earth, before he breathed his his life into Adam's lungs and, and formed Eve out of his rib, before he created anything, the kingdom has been prepared for you. And you are blessed and lavished in his grace because of it, right? And so the response, what's our response? Peter gives our response in 1 Peter 1 when he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, it is undefiled, that will not fade away, that is reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith. For what? A salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. That's what he's talking about. So we say, praise God for his inheritance. But then the other question is, but why me? Because I'm a nobody, right? And that's what he answers. And that key word of verse 25, for, circle it in your Bible, underline it, highlight it, underline it in your iPad, whatever. For, it's what we call an explanatory gar in the, for Greek nerds out there. It's, a, it's just a term that explains why. Why are you a sheep? Why do the sheep get blessed? Why are they lavish with love? For, you were, for he was hungry and he gave him food. Jesus says, I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, you came to me. Now on the surface, you might think, wait, 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 wait. Is Jesus saying that my way to heaven and being a sheep is just being nice to poor people? Is that what he's saying? Because if that's what he's saying, I can do that. That is not what he is saying, Right? Whenever you come to a passage that seems like, hey, this just doesn't seem to match up with this, always let the scripture interpret the scripture. Salvation is by grace. It is through faith. It is a gift of God. It is not a result of works, lest any man boast and say, look, I was nice to the poor. Let me into heaven. Right? So, so we have to interpret scripture with scripture. Remember, Jesus says in John 10, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay my life down for the sheep. Get the order of the passage. Jesus divides the sheep and the goats first. Sheep here, goats here. And then he talks about what they did. Why? Because he knows his sheep already. Why? Because he laid his life down for the sheep. The only reason these people are on the right is because Jesus laid down his life for them and they have put their hope in that. And he knows them and they know him. It's not, oh, 
Hey, tell me what you did for the poor. Oh, okay, you go over here. No, he's already divided them because he knows them. Our only hope is not in you being nice. Our only hope is in this good shepherd laying his life down for the sheep. So then why does he describe what they did? Because he's not describing the basis of salvation. He is describing the evidence of their salvation. He's not telling them how they got to heaven. He's telling them, how do I know that you are my sheep? This is how I know you're my sheep. This is what you did. And what's interesting is their response. He's like, you did all these things. And I'm like, really? When did I do that? I mean, I would have thought that I would have remembered if I took Jesus to Taco Bell. I would have thought I'd remember that. I would have thought I'd remembered if he was sick and I took him some Campbell's soup, some saltine crackers and some ginger ale, which is good for the soul when you're sick. At least it was in the 80s. A little Price is Right and a little Campbell's soup. That's what you did when you were sick. He says, what? they're like, when do we do this? And he, when do we see you hungry? When do we see you thirsty? When do we do all these things, Jesus? And he answers, truly I say to you, that's his way of saying, this is why. Listen to me. You do, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Now notice the phrase, the least of these, my brothers. That's a key phrase here. Right? Because a lot of people have used this passage and say, see, we ought to be good to the poor. Christians ought to be good to the poor. And there's plenty of other verses in the Bible to deal with that. But this is not one of them. He's not talking about the poor in general here. Who's he talking about? Let's look at the text. The least of these, my brothers, and you could add my sisters. He's talking about how you treat the people of God, followers of Christ, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what he said. The litmus test for whether you are a sheep or whether you're a goat is what? How do I treat the people of God, especially those who are in need? Which is consistent with the rest of scripture. What does 1 John 4 say? If you say that you love God and you hate your brother, you are a liar, liar, pants on fire. Because how do you say you love God who you cannot see and you do not love your brother who you do see? That's this point. The litmus test for am I a sheep? One of the many litmus tests, and you could go, there's a lot of evidences, read First John, of how do I know if I'm really a sheep? One of the ones that he mentions time and time again, and Jesus does too, is what? Love for the brethren. If you don't love Christians, then you're not one, is his point. That's his, it's his whole argument here. The litmus test, and it could have been, he could have used any litmus test. He could have said, the litmus test is you went to church every Sunday, you got the pin, from the 70s, never missed a Sunday, sure, pen. Or you read your Bible every day, or you gave a lot of money, or you did X, Y, or Z. That's not his litmus test. His litmus test is how do you just treat my people, especially the people that are in need? And I, I get, when we talk about like the poor and things like that in our culture, because of the nature of the political environment, we just like to fight. Well, it's because they made bad choices and it's because of the system is this, da, da, da. And we, you can debate those things all day long and Jesus has no, doesn't want nothing to do with it. His point is this. You see one of my children in need, meet the need. That's what my sheep do. That's what it looks, that's what sheep smell like. That's what sheepiness is. You help that person because they're one of my own. You got a friend that's in a hospital and you got something, somebody's got to let their dogs out and someone's got to take care of their kids. What do you do? You go let the dog out. Why? Because that's what my sheep do. You got a great aunt who's in a nursing home and her own kids and know her family isn't going to visit her. You know what you do? You go and visit her because that's what my sheep do. You got an extra car. You got a 1977 Nova sitting in the garage and that person over there's car just died and they got to go to school. They got to go to work. You let them use your car or you give them that car because you have an extra car because that's what my sheep do. 
right? That's what my sheep do. There's a single mom over here and she's got three kids and she just needs an afternoon to get away and get her nails done, which apparently is good because I've just never done that, but you know. Then you take her kids to the Chick-fil-A so that she can go get her nails done because that's what my sheep do, right? And, and again, you got, you know, you're a Dave Ramsey guy, so you got three to six months saved up and this person over here, they lose their job and they don't have enough money to pay the power bill and groceries. You take them to the Kroger's and you buy them some groceries because that's what my sheep do. That's what being sheepy is about, right? You got baby clothes in the closet for years and your youngest kid's 39 years old and you still got the baby clothes? You give them to that new mom because she can't afford diapers because they're like $37 a diaper these days, right? Because that's what my sheep do. That's what he mentions, right? I was hungry, you fed me. I, I, I was thirsty, you gave me a drink, right? That, that's the idea. And there's hundreds and thousands of opportunities if we just look of how can we be sheepy. And, and again, we, got, we have ministries that focus on this. We have a bunch of our men that go to prisons. It's called Kairos ministry. It's not our, we, we just support it. It's not from our church, but we, a bunch of our guys do this. They go into prisons or Thursdays, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. They do Bible studies. They do discipleship. They pray for these guys. Why? Because of this, Right? We, we have our go trips. One of the best ways, I'm telling you, I, I keep encouraging this, for you, some of you just need to get out of our country and go on a go trip and go to a place where these folks live on a dollar, two dollars a day. Do you don't understand how just honored our brothers and sisters, when you go and stay at their house, that you would leave your nice cush house with a two and a half car garage and a white picket fence and 2.5 kids and a Labrador and that you would come to their house that doesn't have indoor plumbing and electricity and you would stay with them for a week. You don't know how encouraging that is to them. And you know, you, you drop a 50 or a hundred and give them a hundred bucks on your way out the door. It's like, thank you. That feeds them for like a month. That's what he's talking about. Where you get involved, we just started supporting this new ministry. We shared about it like a few weeks ago, Promise 666, which is a, a ministry that comes alongside the, uh, the fostering, adopting system in our city and just provides whatever is needed. Things like, hey, you got an extra dresser in one of your three storage units that you're paying $400 a month for. And they, someone needs a dresser because they just fostered this child and they don't have a dresser. That you can give them a dresser. That's what this is talking about, Right? You can join with uh, one of our partners in Rwanda has a ministry called Mahigo Hope, John Mahigo. And for $40 a month, you can support fully a, a child to go to school because they don't get to go to school like they do here. We just go, you know, you can go to public school, whatever. They don't just get to go, you have to pay. And most people living on dollar two a day can't afford the $40 a month to send their kids to school so they don't get to go to school. You can send them to school so they have the potential to get a job. It provides them a uniform and some food. For $40, some of you spend that in five days at Starbucks on your mocha, froca, choca, doca. <laughs> you used to drink water and send the kid to school. That's what he's talking about. Or partner with one of the ministries in this town that has refugees and, and, and the nations coming here. I, I don't know. But this, the point is this. Sheep do this. And, the, and we're always looking for the big splash and big splash and big splash. Notice the commendation comes not from the big splash, but from the simple act of kindness towards one of God's people. 
It may not get a big splash in the world. You may not end up on a website, but he notices. He gave me a cup of water. It was to me. It was to you. It was to me. Right? And and again, Jesus is not trying to guilt us, y'all, and he's not trying to scare us. The point is this. Why is this significant? Because my sheep do what I did. This is all about identifying with Jesus. What did Jesus do? He left riches and became poor. Why? So that you could become rich and have his inheritance. That's why. He left heaven and became hungry in the wilderness. Why? So that you could feast on the bread of life, manna from heaven. He thirsted on a cross so that you could drink the water of life. He was wounded so that you might be healed. He was forsaken so that you would never have to be. He was alienated so that you would be invited. He was stripped naked so that you could be clothed in his righteousness. He became sin so that you could become his righteousness. This is the good news of the gospel, y'all. And for us to see a brother in need and to be like, huh, it's just because you made some bad choices, is to miss the fact that God has done this for you. And the point he's making is, if you know me, you will look for opportunities. I alleviated and I relieved your suffering in a huge way so that you can alleviate in a small little way the hunger of that brother, that person who's tired, that person who's lonely. And it's what sheep do. We look for opportunities to do this, to identify with Christ. And remember, this is what sheep do. Why does he, we're not even gonna unpack the goats as much because they just did the opposite. They didn't do it. They didn't identify with Christ because they're about themselves. They're about me, 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 me. Sheep are not about me, we're about him, right? So we want to be a sheep because the love of Christ Paul says, compels us, it controls us. It, it, it says, this is not a duty, this is a delight because Jesus did it for me. And so the question you gotta ask is, are you sheepy? You smell like a sheep? You act like a sheep? Or you act like a goat? Because you don't wanna be a goat. Look what he says to the goats, verse 41. He said to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Not come, depart. Not blessed, cursed. Not inheritance, eternal fire. This is a devastating passage. Devastating, right? And you hear a lot today, well, you know, I don't really believe in hell. You hear that. And and that's fine. You can believe whatever you want, but it doesn't mean it's true. The reality is this. Jesus taught that hell existed and it was real. And and by the way, if you do the kind of the, the numbers, nobody taught on hell more than Jesus in the entire Bible, right? No one taught about hell more than Christ. But, but notice what it says. Uh, you cast them into eternal fire. Hell was not created for people. Hell was created for Satan. Hell was created for the demons that fell with Satan. Because of sin and the fall, hell, people go to hell. Not because that's the way God intended it. We were created for kingdom before the foundation of the world because we rebelled against God, people go to hell. And so verse 46, 
He summarizes the passage. Because they didn't do these things, because they didn't identify with Christ, because they didn't know Christ ultimately, these will go away into eternal punishment, the righteous into eternal life. The only two similarities of heaven and hell are they eternal, both of them are eternal, and yours consciousness. Heaven is the presence of God, of joy and delight forever and ever. Hell is separation from God and where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, a a place of torment, eternal torment. The word that is constantly used in the gospels is Gehenna. It's it's an actual place. It was the trash dump for, for Jerusalem. It was outside the city where they would burn the trash. And Jesus said, that's likened to hell. It's constantly burning and burning and burning and burning. He taught that it was real. Not that it was some, it's not some metaphor. Well, it's a metaphor. No, Jesus taught that it was real. And hell is filled with people who don't believe they deserve it. Where heaven is filled with people who know they don't deserve it. And that's the difference. The difference is not the good versus the bad. It's not Georgia versus Florida, although some of y'all think it is. This is lost versus saved. That's, that's, That's the only distinction because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? And, and beloved, this is not one of those passages I can't wait to preach on Sunday, woo! But I'm not ashamed of it because Jesus said it. And woe is me and woe to the shepherds who do not stand on stages and pulpits today and not tell people the truth. Woe to them. I will stand before Jesus one day and he will say, did you tell my sheep what I told you to tell them? And I wanna say, yeah, I did, right? And so this is a challenging passage, but woe to me if I do not tell you the truth because y'all, eternity is forever. And after you spend a billion years in eternity, a billion years, you will have no less time to be there. No less time, right? So it's my job to plead with you and to beg with you, to ask you, are you a sheep or are you a goat? Because you will spend eternity somewhere, one of these two places, right? And, and again, I, the question is always, well, how could a loving God send people to hell? How could, if he, God is love, he would never do that. God doesn't send people to hell, people choose to go to hell, that's the reality. Spurgeon said it so well, and Spurgeon was a Calvinist in case you were wondering. Spurgeon said, your damnation is your own election, not God's, because he has provided the way out. He has offered you a way out in his son, Christ, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life that no one comes to the Father but through him. There is no other name under heaven by which men are saved. That's what the book of Acts says. There's not many ways, there is one way. You will come through him or you will not come at all, right? The bigger question is not how could God send people to hell? The bigger question is how does a God who is completely holy, holy, holy spend eternity and have fellowship with people who are not? That is the grander question. And the answer is Christ. Because God is love, y'all. Yes, he is. But God is holy and he is just and he must punish sin. This is why in Revelation 19, Jesus is coming to what? He is going to tread the winepress of the wrath of God because your and my sin deserves wrath. So how does God deal with the wrath that deserves for sin and yet yet bring us into it? He pours his own wrath out on his son 
so that he does not have to pour it out on you. This is the beauty of the gospel. This is why we sing on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin when him was laid. Here in the love of Christ, I live. This is why Romans 3 says God poured Jesus, put Jesus up as a propitiation. That's the satisfying of his wrath. How? By his blood. And it's received how? By faith. This was to show his righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. It's to show his righteousness at the present time so that he is just. How is he just? Because he has punished sin, but he's also the justifier and that he has declared righteous those who are not. Me, you. Why? Because I put my faith in what Christ has done. And your entire eternity will be based on what you do with this one called Jesus the Christ. That's what everything rests on. And this is where it goes. This is how it ends. Let me just read the end of the end of the end. Revelation 20. You don't have to turn it, just be on the screen. John saying, I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. This is Christ. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were open. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what is written in the books according to what they had done. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged according to what they had done. There's books that have every thought, every deed, every... You thought you got away with it. Everything in there. This is the Bill Fowler book or this is the John Smith book, right? Everything you've ever done. And they'll open it and read, these are the offenses. And then they'll open the key book, the book of life, the Lamb's book of life. And if the name was not in there, Smith, there's like a billion Smiths in here. No Smith, no, your name's not in here. And that person will be cast in a lake of fire. Why? Because you're judged based on what they have done. Here's the thing about this judgment in Revelation 20. There's no sheep at this judgment. You know why? Because sheep aren't judged based on what they've done. They're based on, judged on based on what Christ has done. If you were to stand there based on what you've done in the last hour, you couldn't stand before a holy God. There's no sheep at this judgment because sheep are judged based on what Christ has done. And so instead, Jesus stands in and says, I'm his advocate, I'm his lawyer, I'm his, I was his substitute. And God the Father sees God the Son and says, righteous, righteous. And that person's name has been written in the Lamb's Book of Life, by the way, before the foundation of the world, because God is omniscient and sovereign and knows his sheep, right? But the point is this, and the whole point of the sermon is this, y'all. Which side are you on? You gonna be on his right or on his left? Are you a sheep? Or are you a goat? Are you are you proving yourself to be a sheep? Not becoming a sheep, but being nice. But have you have you demonstrated in your life the fruit of the spirit and the love for the brethren and a love for God's word? My sheep hear my voice. You see, people. One of the other signs, people that oh, I don't. The Bible doesn't really mean that. But when you hear someone say the Bible doesn't really mean that, your little sheep ears ought to go up in the air, because that's exactly what Satan said in Genesis three. My sheep hear my voice. They listen to me, right? There's plenty of false teachers standing on stages this morning saying, you don't need to worry. Jesus is one way to heaven. You know, this, is, this book is old. We're so much smarter in the 21st century. You know, we got public school. We're smart. I got a BA in something. 
don't believe him. Let God be found true and every man a liar. Let me close with a story from uh, Randy Alcorn's book on heaven, which is worth your read, by the way. If you ever get a, a chance, it's a great read. Because here's the thing. Jesus promised in the Sermon on the Mount that many will say in that day, Lord, didn't we this? Didn't we fill in the blank? Didn't I go to church? Didn't I cast out demons? Didn't I prophesy? Didn't I sing songs? I sang in the worship team. I gave money. I wanted a missions trip. Blah, 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 blah. Didn't I do all these things? And he says, I never knew you. Depart from me. Because they were trusting in what they had done and not in the finished work of Christ. So this story encapsulates that well. It's about Ruth Ann Metzger, who's a Christian singer. Her and her husband, Roy, were excited about going to a reception. She was the singer at the wedding of a very wealthy man. And the invitation indicated that the reception was to be held on the top of two floors of Seattle's Columbia Tower, the Northwest's tallest skyscraper. And when the couple arrived at the site, there were waiters wearing tuxedos, offering hors d'oeuvres and fancy foods to the guests. And the bride and the groom were standing at a gorgeous staircase of glass and brass that led up to the top floor. And a satin ribbon extending across the stairs at the bottom was ceremoniously cut. And the announcement was made that the couple was about to enter and the guests would follow the bride and the groom up the stairs as the feast and festivities were about to begin. And Ruth Ann and Roy were among the other guests as they arrived at the top of the stairs and they were greeted by the maitre d' who was holding a bound book outside the entrance doors. And the maitre d' asked, may I have your name, please? Ruth Ann announced their names. My name is Ruth Ann Metzger and this is my husband, Roy. The maitre d' searched the M's. I'm not finding your name. Would you spell it, please? Ruth Ann spelled it very slowly and the maitre d' looked at the list again and said, I'm sorry, your name is not in here. Well, she said, there, there must be some mistake. I'm, I'm the singer. I, I sang at the wedding. Gentleman responded, it doesn't matter who you are and what you did. You must have your name written in the book or else you cannot enter the banquet. Just then he motioned to a waiter and said, show these people to the service elevator, please. And they were escorted past the elaborately decorated tables and the whole smoked salmon and the magnificent carved ice sculptures. And next to the banquet area, an orchestra was prepared to perform with all the musicians in dazzling white tuxedos. But Ruth Ann and her husband were escorted to the service elevator, heading to the parking garage to miss it all. And the rejected couple located their car and driving several miles in shocked silence, Roy reached over to his wife and put his hand on her arm. He said, sweetheart, what happened? And tears swelled in her eyes. Well, when the invitation arrived, I was busy. I never bothered to RSVP. Besides, I was the singer. Surely I could go to the reception without returning the RSVP. Surely not. And so the encouragement to you today is, have you RSVP'd? Have you repented of your sin and put your faith in the finished work of Christ to satisfy the wrath of the Father and to give you his righteousness? And look, if you are like, I got some questions, awesome. Don't let your questions linger. Come talk to us. We have some folks that will be in the hallway behind this sanctuary after the service. They'd love to pray for you. They'd love to pray with you. They'd love to, to answer questions. They'd love to point you in the direction of someone that may be able to answer your questions. That is why we are here, to proclaim the good news of a crucified and resurrected Christ for the forgiveness of sins so that you may have right now eternal life which is a relationship with God the Father through God the Son. And so come talk to us. 
because today is the day of salvation. If you're feeling, I don't know, I don't know, do not harden your heart. Do not put it off. If God is speaking, move. He's drawing you to himself because he loves you. And he's saying, come, come. Let me pray. We'll respond through singing. You can stand. Father, I thank you for the heaviness, but yet the truthfulness of your word. And I pray that it would land on each's heart as you see fit. I want no one in this room to hear depart from me. I never knew you. And so show us this morning, if that's us, so that we may put our faith finally in your name, so that we may believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that our hope would be not in what we've done, not in our church membership, not in how long we've known the Bible, but in you and what you have done and done alone. And so may that be the case. And for those of us who are the sheep, that we would be sheepy, that we would be out there demonstrating your goodness towards us, that we would be letting our light shine so that in the end, you may receive the glory. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen.